This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, welcome to Rob, Ryan, Red, the Wrexham podcast brought to you in association with Red 10 People Development. On this week's episode, we'll take a look back at the win over Grimsby, what we made of the latest two episodes of Welcome to Wrexham, and reveal why the club are copping some flack after the latest stadium update. I'm Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined, as ever, by Mr. Nathan Salt. Uh, you've made the move back up north, mate. How are you coping with it? Yes, you and I, um, well, I'm in a kitchen of a flat now, so I don't know how my audio sounds. It might sound the same, it might sound worse, who knows. Me and you both got soaked uh, standing in the mud at Manchester United on Tuesday. I'm basically copying you now. Your little shtick was that you covered Man United and Wrexham and now I'm doing the same. So all's well, I'm all, I'm all okay. It's funny, given we've watched Wrexham for so long, it's just been win, 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 success, success, new documentary, whatever. And then you go watch Man United and it's just doom, gloom, pure chaos, total anarchy. Everything's a, a meltdown. It's uh, quite the antithesis, mate. But you well? You all fine? Yeah, like I said, we've put, we should have done a Rob Brown Red Picture, shouldn't we, from Man United training ground? We probably could have teased something. I'm not sure what what exactly we could have done there. But yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Like you said, just enjoying it. Bloody loved the game on the weekend, watching us ease past Grimsby. I mean, you can show your 5-4 up your arse, basically. I mean, we gave them a head start in the in, in League 2, gave them an extra year, and we've already sort of overtaken them. It, it was such a comfortable win. It was, it was brilliant to watch. And like you said, second series of the dock out now as well. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Really, really enjoying it. I suppose, though, the place to start this week, the news just before we came on to record today, that the COP will not be completed in time for the 2024-25 season, as had been initially anticipated. Lots of issues out of the club's control on this one. They are still saying that once construction starts, they're still not sure when that date will be, that they're confident they'll be able to get fully completed in the space of 12 months. The question now is when will it actually progress? When will we have that new sort of time frame in place. And I suppose, Naif, you'll bring us up to speed with the, with the exact statement now and the actual reasons why the the, the delay is, is happening. But I suppose from the club's point of view, it's not going to reflect well on them because obviously they, they've got grand plans for, for what's happening next and maybe shot themselves in the foot a little bit by putting a time frame on it. I mean, I've always been told from a journalistic point of view, in terms of transfers and United's takeover, for example, Never put a time frame on anything because it always comes back to bite you. 
And I suppose that's happened again for Wrexham. Yeah, it's bitterly disappointing if you're the club because they went so big and so firm that it was going to be done in time for the start of the 24-25 season. And, and basically fans were told, OK, it's going to be a struggle to get tickets this season. You've only got three sides. But come next season, you know, you'll be able to move into the cop and it will be easy. We'll have 15,500. Episode one of the documentary was talking about the cop, the demolition and and what I would say is it is a positive to finally have some transparency. I know that there have been journalists that have been poking around, asking questions um, around, you know, workers uh, and local tradesmen who, who are in the know in terms of what's been going on. But when you're getting towards winter, typically you don't get to start these kind of things laying down foundational pieces in the bite of winter. So, you know, are we looking at January you don't know. I mean, this is what the club statement um, read. I'll read parts of it and I'll gloss over parts. But it says, uh, the new cop will not be open for the start of the 24-25 season with a projected build period of 12 months from commencement on site, which is what you said, Rich. There is no date for starting on site as several matters need to be resolved. To enable a contract to build the cop to be signed, the grant funding agreement from Wrexham County Borough Council needs to be finalised and the club satisfied that the conditions attached to the funding offer can be fulfilled. It is hoped that these negotiations will be completed before the end of October 2023. So there's no guarantee that even just thrashing out who's paying for it and where that money's coming from and when that money will be delivered will be done before the end of October. I mean, that's the hope. If it, at the current rate, I mean, they hoped that work would start on June the 1st, didn't they? That's what they said. That was the cap they gave themselves. We're now on September the 21st when you listen to this. Obviously, no progress. We finally have this now. The club go on to say there are several conditions that the club needs to be satisfied, can be fulfilled, which includes, but are not limited to, the collapse of the existing lease. I think they mean the kind of the surrender of the lease from the WST. Collapse is a bit of a strange word, but the collapse of the existing of lease. Of course, there was that um, sort of fiasco, do we say online, over that earlier, was that earlier in the year? Right. When, you know, there's a bit of back and forth between the two parties, weren't there? And the WST sort of acting in the club's best interest and trying to protect the longevity of the, of the club. But obviously, you've got to give up control at some point. But, you know, there's just lots of sort of teething issues and it's all sort of come together now. And I suppose the like you can get onto now, it isn't just one issue, is it, that's, that's holding us back? No, and I, t- I totally respect the WST's position that they you know, want to future-proof the club beyond Rob and Ryan's ownership, which, you know, is totally fair. It's hardly the most unrealistic demand in the world, um, but that's ongoing. The collapse of the existing lease structure, which we've said, confirmation of the requirements to meet UEFA's Category 4 stadium status and that these can be achieved. So that's the key, that they want to host international games. They want to meet what UEFA's requirements are, so they want those laid out. A report is awaited from UEFA after a stadium visit. So UEFA has still got to go to the stadium and lay out exactly. So not only have we got to figure out the funding, they've got to sort the lease that with lawyers. That's obviously a long back and forth that's been going on for a while. They've got to get a visit from UEFA. UEFA have then got to do reports, and then they've got to give their recommendations, and Rexham have then got to see, can they meet the requirements? Again, that's not exactly a quick fix. And then as it goes on, from a practical perspective, to allow a contractor to commence, the following work also needs to be completed. Permanent diversion of an existing sewer away from the land required for the COP, with Welsh Water and Admiral Taverns, which is the owner of the turf. Now, Humphrey came on a recent pod, was it the, the season preview, where I asked him about the um, sewer that needed moving. And there's also an electrical substation that is causing issues with the university and the flats and some debate over who's actually going to pay for that. They mentioned here that removal of a low-voltage cable and substation that serves the student accommodation that runs across the land for the COP. Um, 
needs sorting basically power needs to always be retained in the student accommodation and the university now have planning permission to build a new substation to facilitate this again is the owners going to be on the university to pay for that is the owners going to be on the club a bit of both rich there's a lot of issues there and, and and roadblocks that don't get solved in a week two weeks three weeks it's we're probably months away, aren't we, realistically, from seeing any any real movement on the ground? I'd say so. I mean, I don't want to speculate when I've not got too much inside the information. And, of course, the other caveat to, to all this is what if there's any more unforeseen holdups that we've not had so far? I mean, we saw, uh, was it before the season, before games were played in front of a crowd again, there was all the problems of getting the actual parts for the tech end, weren't there, and being able to have that fully finished. So, even if you got to the stage where the stadiums, you've got the shell of the stand there, you've then got to get the infrastructure in place, you've got to do trial runs, you've got to get it all tested and up to scratch and to be the working condition. So, you know, this is, it's how things happen. There's always going to be red tape. There's always got to be little unforeseen holdups. We had also that fiasco previously during the COVID pandemic with the, the kits getting, were they sort of stuck, stuck in Amsterdam or somewhere? They're stuck on a big container ship somewhere and couldn't get released. And, Rotterdam. They were stuck in know, a pallet in Rotterdam, yeah, Rotterdam weren't they? Yeah. So it could be Rotterdam or anywhere, Nathan, couldn't it? But I suppose um, there are all these, uh, all these unforeseen issues as well. So right now, what we know categorically is it will not be ready in time for the start of, of next season as initially planned. And I suppose for lots of Wrexham fans, the, the bottom line of that means how the hell are we going to get tickets? Because obviously it's already a mad mad fight to ever get any any chance of getting getting tickets. Um, it's already such a big waiting list, really. And, you know, season tickets, there's not no more on sale. Unclear if there would be anyway if, if the cop opened. And like you said, that's an extra 5,500 on top of what is already a sellout uh, home allocation every single week. So it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of is handled over the next 12 months because obviously it's not ideal for the club. There's got to be even more complaints really from some fans who, who just can't get to games sadly. And I suppose the other the other aspect I've seen a lot on social media is fans saying, why can't we have a temporary stand? Well, that's just not feasible really because first of all, the COP is an active building site. You can't put a temporary stand on there. First of all, if you did, you're then delaying any further work being able to be done to the COP. So you'd effectively be saying, let's have a temporary stand until next May, take it down, and then we can hopefully start work on the COP again. I kind of slightly would get on board with that idea if you said, right, we just have to knock the COP back for another year altogether. But obviously that's not in the interest of the club. But I do think this sort of temporary seating idea is is a pipe dream for many fans. I suppose the only other question would be is, would there be any way at all, I'm not sure if health and safety would even allow it, to sort of have an extra quadrant in between the mould road and the tech end. You know, I mean, that's often an entry point, isn't it? You often see sort of ambulance park there. That's often where Rob and Ryan get to the ground themselves. So I don't think it's feasible. And yeah, I think right now, sadly, it's probably got to be a case of more of the same for the next year or so. And like I said, hopefully there can be some progress. I, like you, Nave, really appreciate that the club have have gone on record and at least put something out there so there's not this sort of wild speculation and uncertainty. But yeah, it's just a bit of a kick in the teeth really, isn't it? Because there's so much to be positive about and there still is. It's just a bit annoying that this is going to take longer than we all thought it would do. Yeah, I mean, they, they had to say something because it was getting to a point where too many people were 
were poking around it saying, look, June 1st, June 1st, June 1st. That's what you said. You said we were going to be starting. There's no movement on the ground. You know, I had some people um, who close to the project from a from a building point of view were were giving me some updates. And, and it was getting to the point where the club needed to say something they have. And yes, it's frustrating. But like you say, there's been setbacks before, especially in the, in the building work, the wrong nails for the tech end uh, redevelopment, the, the shirts on the pallet in Amsterdam. Um, the gin that they couldn't get in for ages. Remember that you couldn't get any of the bottles of gin to the country for, for God knows how long. Um, but it's just it, it's it's going to be so tricky if we end up getting to League One, which is where we both think we will come the end of the season. That you are going to still have a three sided ground. You are going to not be able to put any more season tickets on sale. You are going to struggle to have a temporary stand. You know, it, it's it's you could hypothetically say that this this isn't wild. That Wrexham could potentially get to the championship and still not have the cop finished. You know that is the sort of timelines you're looking at. That could that could feasibly be be something happens. Or alternatively, Wrexham's first game in in a possible championship campaign could be when the the cop opens. But I do think there will be a large proportion of the fan base as well who will, who will be quick quick to point out. Look, we've waited long enough for the cop to be open. What's another year? As long as it's moving in the right direction and we're going to get that stand that we've wanted for so long. And that is such a fundamental part of the project going forward. It's not only just the iconography and what it resembles, you know, having that all the stands back and not having that derelict old beauty behind behind one end of the, of the ground. Just to have it happen anyway is maybe worth an extra year's wait if we if we have to go that long. Rich, I would say though that, you know, you AFL architects, they put out the video. You know, fans could see this bold vision. We saw the plans didn't we, with the council that I'm not even sure if they're still publicly accessible. I need to check, but it was talking about a beer wall and a mega store. And, you know, you are selling people a dream, which is amazing. And I'm sure they will deliver that eventually. But really, the, the misstep for me is was, was the, like you say, putting dates on it, putting a firm timeline on it when the funding wasn't wasn't secure. You know what I mean? That, that must have been known. Um, and maybe it was wishful thinking a little bit in, in terms of saying we're going to get it done at, at uh, you know, we're going to get it done, started in, in June the 1st and we're going to get it done by the end of the season. But a lesson learned, they've nipped it in the bud now. I think we can move on from it. We, we're not going to have people chasing updates on it uh, and until they, they announce it. So let's just hope this doesn't become another tit for tat between the trust and the um and and the club really because everybody wants the same thing everybody wants a cop built and everyone wants the stadium redeveloped they just want it done without jeopardizing the future which i think is totally fair good things do come to those who wait and hopefully it will be worth the wait whenever whenever that happens and speaking of good things coming to those who wait Revenge on Grimsby Town, Nafer. It was heartbreaking. We saw it in season in episode one. Well, we saw it in the last episode of season one and the first episode of season two. The recap of the Grimsby playoff semi-final heartbreak. But revenge is a dish best 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 served with sort of set piece goals against a team who were trying to mock us previously for letting in so many set pieces. I mean, yeah, that came back to bite them on the backside, didn't it? Wrexham took the piss of Grimsby Town, didn't they, really? I think it was the most comfortable performance of the season so far. James McLean, I absolutely love you. Stephen Fletcher just is incredible. And Will Boyle, 
just stop boil, mate. They're the protesters you'd be worried about the most because Wrexham are, are a dangerous side and we're slowly getting back up to speed. Mullen is getting a little bit sharper. He's still a little bit rusty at the weekend, but we'll, we'll let him off for that. 3-0 win. A clean sheet was important as well. Mark Howard didn't have much to do, commanded his area well. And yeah, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. Elliot Lee, wow, what a player. I mean, it just shows that we just needed to get our feet under us. You know what I mean? I think we stumbled a little bit into the season, but really we've lost one game. And we're going into Stockport with having only lost one game. I mean, you'd have taken that at the beginning of the season. Swindon, who we've played, they're a good team. They'll be right up there. They've played a game less than everyone else and, and a bang up there. And you'd also say that if we'd had a proper pre-season, I don't think we lose that Swindon game. There was even a chance. There was even the op- the moment in that game where we got it back to sort of, was it 4-2 or 4-3? There was oh, a moment M- where I thought... MK Dons. Oh, MK Dons, sorry, yeah. That game, I was thinking, we're going to win this. And, you know, I thought it would have been another Swindon game, sorry. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be positive about on the pitch. The, the key positives, I mean, firstly, we should say that we were questioning, weren't we, Aaron Hayden last week? Is he reliable? There he was, patched up, out there, playing through it. If there was any pain, playing through the pain barrier. So credit to him, hats off to him. Boyle is coming into his own now. I think what we're seeing, Rich, is we're seeing the strongest eleven now, I think. I think we're seeing Howard, we're seeing Boyle, Tozer, Hayden, we're seeing McLean, we're seeing Barnett, we're seeing Lee, O'Connor and Young, and then we're seeing Mullen and Palmer. I think that is Wrexham's strongest eleven. I don't know if you disagree with that, but I think that is the best available to Parkinson. Fletcher, I mean, look, I, had Fletcher scored that overhead kick goal, we'd have been dedicating an entire episode to it, I think, breaking it down. He's looked brilliant, but he but he is an impact player, I think. I think he's the impact yeah. sub. There's sort of, very, this is a very, very slight tangent, but he's, he's kind of like a Dulux Glenn Little, that, you know, he's like the, he is just a class above. You can see his high league quality. He can come off the bench and do a job, but maybe don't want to start him every week anyway. I think he will get to a stage where he can start for his Stephen Fletcher. I am desperate to see him and Paul Mullen in a strike force together because that is going to be that's going to be irresistible. But yeah, like you said, I think that right now he's suited to that role. Yeah, I suppose the other question, maybe the only two question marks for me in that lineup would be right wing back. I do think Barnett's been brilliant the last two, three games. Anthony Ford started the season really well, though. And then in goal still, like I said, Mark Howard hasn't put a foot or a hand drawn really this season. He's been fantastic since he came into the side. But just the fact that a Conquo came from Arsenal, I do feel that he will get a chance in the team at some point. But he'll only get that chance if Mark Howard doesn't deserve to be playing himself. And fair play to Chomp. He has been fantastic. He deserves a hell of a lot of credit because, you know, he was written off last season, ourselves included, really. You know, we thought that that's it, his time is up. Will he just be a goalkeeper coach this season? And he's holding us all. What a what a player he, he's been. And fair play, that mentality for him as well, because it must... I know he seems so positive and he talks so well, but you were effectively replaced so such a high profile replacement as well you would ditch for Ben Foster now Foster's gone and it's back down to you again and he's been brilliant he's been brilliant so hats off to, to Mark Howard I mean I, I you know I said didn't I that on, on the podcast that I didn't think he would play for Wrexham again after he got dropped after the Maidenhead game and Foster comes in and then Foster signed the new deal I just didn't see how he was going to play again um, for Wrexham there just didn't seem an obvious route back into the team for him He's proven me and, and some others wrong. I've got a lot of respect for him. I mean, congratulations to Mark as well. He's gone and got first-class honours 
in his journalism degree at Staffordshire University. That's a big achievement as well. No, no mean feat when you're juggling it with a professional football career. I can't even imagine what that's like. Um, but but there's so many islets. I mean, Elliot Lee again. Uh, what we should say, Elliot Lee, one game away from a booking now. One more booking away from a ban. Sorry, um, four bookings. Rich O'Connell's got three. I think Boyle's got Boyle and McLean got more Boyle and someone else has got two. Maybe McLean's definitely got two. Yeah, I don't know. After I'd... the weekend, McLean's got two. I think because he got one at Tranmere and he got one. I don't know. If, I don't know if he did get one at Tranmere. Maybe one of us needs to look that up. I think from my record, he's on one. So maybe we need to look, but um, I could have got that one wrong, actually. But let's see. But basically, Lee is one booking away. So if he gets booked against Stockport, he will not play in the game against Crew. is it, the week after. So he'll be back for the Mansfield game. So we'll see. He's a feisty player, and I don't want to take that out of his game. But yeah, Elliot Lee, oh, he's just, just the ball that he plays in for Palmer for the first goal. He's just so sumptuous. And then... Uh, Sam Dolby returning the favour off the bench to slide Lee in. Again, great finish to to cap off a, a great performance. But the first goal, the ball to Oli Palmer and the header, uh, he must he must have thought, I'm in so much space, how am I possibly onside? I mean, he was onside. There's somebody yeah. playing him on, but it was remarkable. They had like we had three players almost lined up in the six yard box, and if it wasn't Palmer, it was going to be one of the one of the others. Remarkable ball in from Lee, just cut everyone else to pieces in the Grimsby Grimsby ranks. Yeah, again, it just stems from, it's just the old sort of lazy stereotype of Parky that even plays long ball football. You play to your strengths and we're so good with the ball on the, on the ground as well and getting getting it from front to back, back to front, sorry, really quick. But fundamentally, how do you defend against Wrexham? Because you need to man-mark Boyle, Hayden and Palmer. You could even say that Hayden and Boyle both need two men on them. So you've got no defenders left if those three players are on the pitch. And you've got the delivery of of Lee and also the second goal. The header by Boyle is world-class. How has he done that? The cross that? from McLean. How has he, how's he directed that? The ball looked like it was going out of play. And in years gone by, I think Wrexham let that go for a long throw. McLean somehow keeps it in play and then whips in the most delicious cross with so much power on it that Boyle does only need to sort of glance it into into that far corner. You know, he doesn't have to put as much power behind the header, but I mean, my God, Richard, we are a joy to watch at this moment in time. Richard, doing him a disservice saying just glance it. I thought it was sort of behind him. Brilliant. It, honestly, it's brilliant technique. If the cross wasn't that powerful, he wouldn't be able to... to to get that much power on it when it's behind him. So for me, yeah, it's an incredible header, but the cross is just as good, really. I mean, the goal doesn't happen with either of the other, does it? But it's, yeah, it's brilliant. And that's what I think separates us from other teams in this league, is that we can just get those goals out of absolutely nowhere. We've just got that individual quality that's going to win his matches. I'll tell you what I'm really looking forward to at the weekend. You're seeing two of the informed players in the division. Elliot Lee, who's got a case to be I'm uh, probably behind Jake Young at Swindon, but he's been one of the best players in League Two so far this season. But Louis Barry at Stockport is a is a kid in form. I think they'll be they'll be playing similar ish roles in each team. I, I, I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a belter, and the atmosphere at Edgeley Park will be unbelievable as well. It always is. Think back to that uh, Rob Lainton long kick, goal kick. Um, Mullen races through first minute of the game, chips. I think I think it's Ethan Ross in goal that day. I don't think it was Ben Hinchcliffe. I think it was Ethan Ross. And just kind of does a Christ the Redeemer 
in front of the away end and we're all uh we're all spilling down the seats that was unbelievable so yeah if you are one of the lucky few that are going then enjoy it i think my favorite yeah i'm going i mean i've got an absolute nightmare on saturday because i've got stockport was a wrexham at 3 p.m and i've got a dash to turf more for the the burnley united game it's one of the only sort of saturdays i'll ever be able to do both in in one hit so I, i can't wait for that but I might have to be that guy who leaves early just to avoid the traffic, no matter what's happening. And I'm trying to think what scoreline would keep me until the end and leave me very late for work. Because, again, an insider secret, you might say, well, United don't kick off to 8pm. But journalistically, we tend to get there about three hours before a game starts, sometimes even like two and a half, two hours at a push. But, yeah, it's going to be a rush to get to Turf Moor at an acceptable time for, for my boss. But what scoreline would keep me at, at Edgeley Park if it's if it's what, it, if it's one all and end to end like a basketball game, you're just gonna think, just just wait and see. I might have to. I yeah. might have to. I, I was thinking though that one of my favourite memories of Stockport was there weren't many of us there. Stockport two, Wrexham two, FA Trophy 2014-15. We were two 0 down, and then Louis Malt scored like a bicycle kick to get oh, us the the replay. Great goal. We won about five one, I think, at the Kairas. But yeah, I just remember that one vividly. Um, and I suppose we were going to launch a feature, weren't we, this season of where were you when we were shit, basically, um, <laughs> to, to give it its proper name. And for me, I think that would be one of them, sort of Stockport away in the 2014-15 FA Trophy. I remember getting like a police escort from the, uh, from the, from the station to the ground then. And I know there's been a lot of build-up this week about is it actually a rivalry or not? It's not really compared to what both teams have re- retrospectively. And I think there's a, actually a lot in common between Stockport and Wrexham. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And again, I would say for that feature I just named, um, if, you know, this isn't a complaint at, at newer fans whatsoever, but you get a lot of this on, on online at the moment, don't you? Of people trying to outdo one another of, I'm a better Wrexham fan than you because I was here. Which, you know, I kind of get it to, to a degree, but look, we all support the same club at the end of the day. But if you had, and this is for you to get in touch, Rob Brown Red, Red on the socials or robbrownred at gmail.com. If you had to say, this is where I was when we were crap, and you had to have one experience or one game that would be your go-to, your joker almost, and say, look, this is why I deserve to be on any loyalty scheme because I went to this game. I was there at Ebsley. I was there at Dover. I was watching us lose 4-0 to Telford. I was at the Gateshead 7-1, you know, what would be your Wrexham I was there moment as your sort of I was there when we were crap? Your middle finger to that those away crowds who, who chant at you. Rich, I've got Do you a, have one I've got a, I've got a couple, but I I would say one where I thought I was actually gonna freeze to death. Um I did actually think I'd lost the ability to my hands were blue. Like actually that I looked like one of the blue men group in Las Vegas. It was woking away. Or a smurf. Or a smurf, whatever whichever one you I I'd actually change color and I'm only, I don't have much body fat to keep me warm anyway. So I was really pushing it, but it was woking away around Christmas time. I was amazed the game was even on and we drew one all and they, I just remember them scoring from a corner. I think it was just a dismal, there was that one and, um, which, and then the one I always go back to when Andy Davis was in charge with Carl Darlington. We lost 3-0 at Ebbsfleet. It chucked it down. And a pensioner behind me was having a scrap with a teenager. Both our own fans, they were arguing over 
whether we were rubbish and whether we deserve to be booed off. So our own fans were basically scrapping with each other. Um, I got soaked, and I still remember the phone call to my dad just saying, like, what, why, am I, why am I doing this to myself, walking out of the Cufflink Stadium, just wondering whether it would ever end. So they're my two. I thought I'd frozen to death at Woking, and then got, I got soaked at uh, Ebsfree. But get in touch with your ones, robbrownred at gmail.com and robbrownred and all the socials. And with that in mind, let's take a quick break. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with muck delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, Rich, not only has it been the men's team that have been sort of generating praise this week and people have been waxing lyrical about it. It was the start of the women's campaign in the Adran Premier. Hell of a game. I mean, it was kind of meant to be a welcome to the league, a whipping against Swansea, who were, you know, one of the best teams in that Adran Premier, along with Cardiff City. Didn't quite turn out that way. 3-3, Rebecca Pritchard, who scored that goal against Britain Ferry, um, put us ahead. Rosie Hughes got on the score sheet. And then new sign and summer signing Hannah Kerryakopoulos um, thought she'd won it for us only for Swansea to level late on. Injury to Delith Morgan as well, which was a real blow. But it was feisty. I watched it. Swansea ended up going down to 10 to ten because the player got sent off for essentially kicking out at Rebecca Pritchard. It was just pure chaos. And while you and I weren't there and we were just watching it, someone who was there, Megan, who's been on the podcast before, she was there. And so I caught up with Megan to see what did she make of Wrexham's return to the Adram Well, obviously, there was the men's game this week, potentially the best performance we've seen so far this season from them, but also arguably the game of the weekend in terms of drama, in terms of feistiness, was at the Rock, was the women's game. Wrexham... Dare I say, we're kind of being tipped to get a, a humbling, let's say, against Swansea. And it didn't turn out that way. I wasn't there, but I did follow it. Megan was there. So we've got Megan back on. She's been on the podcast a few times. Our uh, eyes and ears when it comes to the Adran Premier. Megan, what was it like to watch and cover? It was it was an experience. Um, first off, if no one's ever been to The Rock, I know there's a little bit of a controversy around right. it at the moment, but... 
it, it is a just it is a beautiful stadium. I, I will give it that. You know, going into it, you sort of walk underneath a stone bridge that's sort of hidden by these trees, and then you see this expanse of a pitch surrounded by a rock face, and it's just one of those pitches you sort of take in. You're like, wow, football is being graced by nature, and this is so cool. And like more Premier League stadiums need to take this in. Um, but in terms of the game, I, I'm like you, and a lot of people from Wrexham were saying the same thing. They were expecting this to be you know, a, a real baptism of what the top flight is going to give them. And, you know, Wrexham men had their baptism, 5-3 against MK Dons. And Swansea City especially, you know, they're six-time reigning champions of the Ajahn Prem. Um, they went their first season in 10 years without a trophy last season. So for them, like, it was a bit of a redemption tour. And to sort of start that tour off against Wrexham, it, there wouldn't have really been any other sort of better way of doing it. But fair play to Wrexham, like they showed up first 20 minutes, not really. Um, If anyone watched it first 20 minutes, it looked like it was going to be all Swansea and Wrexham were going to be back to the walls defending and that was it. And then, yeah, who else but Rebecca Pritchard to get the first top flight goal. She scored the, the game winner in the promotion playoff. So it felt very like symmetrical there. And, and Wrexham really grew into the game. And it was, like you said, it was feisty. There was... I don't think anyone in the stadium was expecting that, but everyone loved it. And I think the crowd really fed off it, which then made the players feed off it. It got really feisty in the end, um, but it was exciting. Do you, because this is what I felt when I watched it before Rebecca scores, which was great. I just felt like our girls knew how good Swansea were and have been and probably still are. Like it's just one game, but I feel like we paid them so much respect and didn't really give ourselves any credit in the bank you know this is a good group of players and we kind of for 20 minutes looked like we were almost in awe of them a little bit yeah funnily enough that's exactly what Rebecca Pritchard said post-match because I asked her sort of what shifted I mean obviously her goal helped and she said that was it you know you have to give Swansea a lot of respect but they definitely went into that match probably giving them too much and then I think once Rebecca's goal went in it was sort of that that moment of realization that actually these guys they're they're vulnerable they, they've got their they've got their weaknesses and I think Wrexham did a really good job tactically to exploit those you know to hit them on the counter and and that is Wrexham's game and I think that's going to be their game this season and they're clinical when you've got Rebecca Pritchard and, and Rosie Hughes on your side that's great and then as well like Carrie Coppolis coming in on her debut she's a seasoned striker she knows how to find the back of the net um, I mean, when you've got players like that, why not hit them on the break and hit them on the counter? And, and Wrexham made a show of it. Yeah, well, they always tend to do. Um, I, I feel <laughs> like you, you interviewed Kerry Coppolis in the build-up. She is feisty. Let's just say yes. she was not up for messing around. I can't remember the players she got into an altercation with, but there was a, a bit of a shove, a bit of a... She is going to make those girls rough and ready, I think, th- this season. Oh, Yeah. Well, that's what she wanted. She was saying that, you know, she's been brought in for experience, but also to kind of give them a bit of spirit, you know, to remind them, you don't need to be an underdog. You can be an underdog, but you don't have to be a pushover, I guess. And she's sort of there to to bring in that spirit to show them, like, you've got to have that fight about you. And, and Wrexham had it. And to be honest, it was Swansea who were the most rattled. You know, you could see it in the players' faces, especially after Rosie Hughes scored the second after halftime. I mean, there was a lot of frustration sort of bubbling up. Ellie Lake getting her red card, Right after Hannah Carey Kloppis like got the the game the seemingly game winner, 
and you saw Ellie Lake sort of kick out against Rebecca Pritchard. And that was that moment when you realize like epitomized where Swansea were in terms of frustration and like internal turmoil and being like, how in the world are we about to lose this game to Wrexham? And, you know, fair play, they did pull it back and, and it was like an exciting six goal thriller. But yeah, I think Wrexham actually did a really good job in terms of being feisty but making Swansea the ones that ultimately like suffered from it yeah I think Rosie Hughes said it in her score or into afterwards that you know obviously there was disappointment at the end that given we were 2-0 up we didn't come away with the win but actually it was a real sign of progress that Wrexham were able to rattle Swansea in. and dare I say the the red card was so stupid from on, on the on the part of Ellie Lake and I think Look, I mean, Swansea's bus couldn't even park properly on the way in. I think it was just a bad day. It was just a bad... If anyone didn't see it, the bus was kind of... I mean, no one could get through with the roads going in. It was no, just... I pulled up in a taxi from, from Wrexham to go and some woman sort of flagged down my taxi and was like, you can't go any further. There's a beached bus. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And you sort of pull up and there's this amazing black Swansea bus. And it's just this in this pitiful state at the bottom of a hill totally just marooned um which yeah it turned out to be like kind of a an auger for the rest of the night which was pretty cool I guess the downside of the day was the injury to Del Morgan and I know and dare I say it looked like she'd done something before she I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that the goal she conceded when she was on the pitch was that uncharacteristic I mean it cuts across comes in she spills it out and I think it was it yeah. Robin Pinder scores or I think she she scores that one but I mean, a real shame. I mean, she was barely able to walk off without assistance come the end. And there were some quite nasty injuries on the day as well, one, one at Swansea's end as well. Yeah, it's, um, Stacey John Davis, she she um, just flew into the the sort of the side advertising boards and it was really nerve-wracking. They paused, they paused the game for a little bit. She ended up getting stretchered off and she was sort of sat up and turns out she's got a, real sh- a really bad shoulder injury. I don't think she's going to like see out the rest of the season, which is really devastating for Swansea because like she's one of their best players and she was definitely a threat throughout the match and and then yeah Dell like it was it was weird because the second goal especially when she conceded you kind of if like seeing it on a replay it was like okay wait hold up like she's been injured like something's wrong here and same with the first one that she conceded it was like completely like not characteristic of her and there is a little bit of a worry for Exum because she was phenomenal yesterday, as, as she normally is. I thought she commanded her box really well. She was quick off her line, which I, you know, didn't sort of favor Swansea's forwards. And Wrexham are going to have, if something does happen to her, that's going to be a really big problem for them going into the season. And a couple of players stood out to me. I thought Mary Gibbard gave a really good account. Was I was Karen Allen, obviously, has come in this summer centre back. She was wearing the armband is going to be the leader of this group, at least in terms yeah. of the captaincy. It's Pontypridd next, and then I think it's Barry Town. It's now we'll see what it's like on the road. It's all it's all right playing at the Rock in front of a big crowd, and it was great to see so many turn out. But the test now will be for these players to to go on the road and see how they get on. Yeah, especially because like I think Rebecca said it after the match. You know, they fed off of that the crowd there, and they really got the energy from them. And especially when Swansea actually did mount their comeback, you could see in the players' faces. You know, that's that time when that mentality has to come in, and when you have eight hundred strong behind you shouting, like it's a little bit easier to to have that mentality and to go through with it. But like you said, Karen Allen, I thought she was fantastic. Phoebe Davis was really good. She was up against Katie Hosford, who's one heck of a player, and she gave Katie a run for her money throughout the match. So. I think defensively, if Wrexham can shore up shop towards the end of the match, but keep that sort of just grit about them, they'll they'll get some points off some big teams. And I think Ponzi and Barry, these are going to be really good asset tests for them. 
if they go into the match with the same sort of fever they did against Swansea, they should get the wins here, which would put them in really good stead for the rest of the season. Well, I mean, yeah, it was a 3-1 defeat for Ponzi Preed. I think Barry Town lost 3-0 in their game. Uh, Cardiff City, from what I saw that, from what I saw of the highlights, they still look like the the team to beat. Obviously, that, that's not the most uh, bold shout in the world from me ever. Um, but realistically, I know it was only one game and, and maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have you back on and we'll know a bit more about where this group is. But what do you think, in your opinion, is, is realistic? I know we've had you on pre-season, but I mean, were you more encouraged after the match with Wrexham? Sort of Wrexham were where you thought they would be. Swansea just had a bad day. Where do you think it fell in the in, in that I think special. it's a combination of it. So you had Swansea who missed a lot of chances. I think they should have put away a lot of those chances. But, I mean, that's where Wrexham's sort of special, I guess, thing is, is that they're clinical. They will get you if they just need one chance. That You saw it in the playoff against Britain Ferry and you saw it against Swansea here. So I was definitely encouraged by this performance. I thought defensively they were really sound. And this was a team that conceded only six goals last season. So that was going to be the really big test for me was, right, how is this defense going to go up against your real attacking threats in Swansea City and Cardiff City? Um, and I was really encouraged by that. So I think top four should still be the aim because that's where, you know, it's, it's a really weird season in league. But as long as they get top four, like once the season sort of hits its halfway point they don't have to worry about a relegation battle they're just sort of battling out for potentially a european spot and for me that is what they should should be aiming for fourth or fifth would be really good i think anything below fifth is like kind of a disappointment but also maybe just one of those where right we're learning we're building we're going up but there's no reason that they shouldn't be in the top four and coming up, I mean, documentary, the Ballers episode, the women, we're going to see more about Rosie Hughes, her life and, and, and the players. That must be exciting and that will shine such a light on, on women's football in Wales. Yeah, I think more people are going to go down there and see them because of that. You know, you sort of you glean a bit of an affiliation with them and you get to know them. And that was really cool post-match. You know, everyone sort of poured down from the grandstand. And they just stood around the fences and the women come up and they, the players and, like, you know, they're signing shirts, they're chatting, they're talking, they're laughing. And there's... A, an easier sort of distance that you can have with the women's team and I think that's something that Wrexham are, are going to try to encourage and you know to an extent you're not going to be able to go into the, like the, the rooms and everything and see them like doing their stuff but um yeah I think it's really cool the the atmosphere there was it was encouraging but it was still febrile like um was it Ellie Lake when she was sent off all the Wrexham fans in typical Wrexham fan fashion started yelling cheerio 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 like there's still like it's so cool when you go to a women's game because sometimes you get nervous that it's only going to be focused on like the family friendly element which is important but when there's a combination of that sort of grit of football fandom combined with sort of the special nature of women's fandom it is really neat and I think Wrexham have kind of started to hone what their sort of niche is so yeah I think more people are going to show up and I encourage everyone to get to The Rock. It's a cool place um, if you've never seen it. And yeah, even in the rain, it's a really oh, cool place. You're putting your head above the parapet there with all the all the drama. We don't, <laughs> need, we don't need to get into that. But, the, but encouraging, let's go. Fourth for the women. Any, any final words on the performance? Any other standouts? I mean, we've gone through them. But uh, it was just from Steve Dale's perspective. I mean, a lot, a lot learned, I think, is probably the worst way to put it. Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to go away with a lot of notes in his little notepad if he had one I'm not even sure if he had a notepad but I imagine that he did if he's like an old-fashioned guy but yeah I think he had loads of notes to take from it um and just maybe places where he's going to try to 
build upon what they can do. You know, they're great on the counter. It'd be nice to see them maybe, especially against teams like Ponzi or Barry, maybe have a little bit more possession and try to play that game. And I think that's where you're going to see them develop. And I think it'll be really cool to see what this team's capable of in the next couple of months. So there you go, Rich. Megan was saying that, look, you know, top four has to be realistic. And dare I say anything lower than fifth would be a real disappointment, really. Wrexham shouldn't be battling relegation. They can take a lot out of it. And while Megan was a big fan of the Rock, I know a lot of people aren't, but we don't need to get into that. Maybe that's one for another day. But the women's team, I mean, a strong start against a strong team. Yeah, don't stop the Rock. I mean, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, a good start. And I think as well, just in, in terms of for the neutral fans, a, a really good advert of the quality in the league and the excitement as well of of what they can expect for the new season. I mean, it's it, they're a team who obviously are, are growing every single week, really. And there's been a lot of change this summer. So I think expectations do need to be tempered a little bit just for the team to gel, for people to get used to the new system and, and everything in place. But I just thought it was a brilliant advert and a real inspirational and you know, again, it's another Wrexham team for people to support. What That is only good news, really, and what a sensational group they are. Fantastic work from everyone behind the scenes and all the hard work that's gone in for years and years as as well. And once again, a, a thank you to, to Rob and Ryan for, for backing it because, like we said, and we continue to say, you can put that in a statement and it could be a hollow gesture. And all the focus initially was on the men's side of, of Wrexham. So for them to put so much investment and to really give them the push and the publicity that they deserve as well is is brilliant to see. And yeah, hopefully it can be the start of something special. And hopefully there is a whole new generation of Wrexham fans being attracted to the club and, and feeling that this is a club that represents them and represents the community well. So yeah, congratulations to them. And obviously a, a massive shout out to everyone involved as well in, in, in terms of that as well. Oh, they've got trips in our Rich. Get on the bus. Uh, Ponty preed away. So I, I I wonder what it'd be like if the men's team ever got to because we don't really get to do South Wales too often, obviously Newport this season, but Ponty Preed for the women and then Barry Town. So two trips to um South Wales coming up. So if you're a South Wales red, plenty of chances to watch Rosie Hughes, Maddie Gibbard, uh Karen Allen and and all the other signs. Hannah Kerry Coppolis looks a real feisty character, Rich. She was not up for messing with some of these Swansea lot. She was like, I've got experience, I've got Wales caps you're not going to be pushing any of these lot around and she'll give this team a real good bite. I guess then, Richie, talking about publicity and promotion and you know, thanking Rob and Ryan for doing that for the women's team, we're going to do our bit. I mean, we're not Rob or Ryan, but we're going to do our bit where we can to raise awareness of Aaron's army. We've said it every episode this month in the month of September for the Walk of Hope that Nicola Aaron's mum is doing in Ellesmere on the day of the crew game, the 30th of September. You can get involved or you can sponsor Nicola um, via the Just Given link that is at the top of the description for this podcast episode. Really appreciate it. I mean, I think she's over £700 now, which is amazing. We're going to see if we can break through that £1,000 barrier. Um, it is a great cause. And I, and I actually caught up with Nicola this week to learn more about Aaron's story. I know it means a lot to the players and I know it means a lot to the chairman as well, Rich. There is, in this little interview here, um, a message from one of them that I don't think has been shared before. So a sneak peek of the words of one of our co-chairmen. So this is what Nick had to tell me about why she's so passionate about raising money and why it's important to carry on the legacy of Aaron. 
Right, so as you heard then, on recent episodes, we said through the month of September, we would keep pushing Aaron's Army. So if you're a first-time listener, we get lots of emails saying they found the podcast for the first time, or obviously the documentary is now out. Welcome to Rexham Season 2. So if you're new, welcome to our podcast, uh, and hopefully you keep listening. But if you are new and you haven't heard, we are really pushing um, the Walk of Hope, Aaron's Army, the fundraiser um, for Aaron, who tragically... Um, passed away far too young and, and we said we'd get Nicola on his mum and Nicola is with us this week to kind of talk about him his legacy and and what she's really working hard on to to deliver not just for this walk and this fundraiser obviously the just giving link is in every episode description at the very very top but Nicola thanks for coming on I guess my opening question is how great of a son and as a boy was Aaron yeah well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, Aaron was just an incredible little boy. He was so resilient through everything that he went through with all his treatments and surgeries and, and being in hospital for prolonged periods of time. But he, whatever he was going through, he always had this infectious smile on his face and he, he just lit up the rooms. So, and whenever anyone saw him, they just instantly smiled themselves and he was, he, was, he was just so funny, you know, he used to do, he loved doing TikTok dances and performing and, and, and just being a typical seven-year-old boy, he was just absolutely incredible. And yet, you know, you often hear stories like this where these young kids who have awful illnesses at a super young age are so resilient and, and put us all to shame, really, because they smile more than us and they dance more than us and all these things that we moan about on a daily basis and they never do. And um, maybe just explain a bit about basically what Aaron was, what he was fighting against, because it really hit quite early, particularly during the COVID time, it really sort of escalated. It did, yes. So just as we were going into COVID, um, we started noticing um, a few issues with Aaron. Um, He started being randomly sick. And then all of a sudden he developed this droop on the left-hand side of his face so when he was smiling, his smile was very, very lopsided. So instantly we knew that something was wrong. Um, we initially took him to hospital um, and they diagnosed him with Bell's palsy. But within 24 hours of getting that diagnosis, um, his coordination suddenly was was just went really, really bad. He couldn't walk in a straight line. Um, he was tripping over things. Um, so we went back to the doctors who referred us back to hospital um, where we went for a series of MRI scans and it was there that they identified that there was a large mass that was growing on the back of his head. Um, so from our local hospital, we were transferred to Alder Hay in Liverpool, um, who advised that this was a brain tumour. Um, they didn't know at that point whether it was cancerous or not. They had to get it out first. Um, surgery was in within, within 48 hours of him being admitted into hospital. Um, and amazingly, they managed to get the whole thing out. Um, surgery was very, very long. It was a 12-hour-plus surgery. Um, but we were just fortunate to be so close to one of the best neurosurgeons in in, in the country. Um, so, yeah, so after that 12-hour surgery, within a few days, we had back the prognosis that it was cancerous and it was quite a rare cancer. Um, and it was called an um, anaplastic appendomoma which Aaron fitted the typical demographic. He was four years old when he was initially diagnosed with a disease. Um, and apparently there's only 50, 60 children in the UK that get diagnosed with this particular type of cancer every year. Um, so, yeah, so we were told that it was rare. Um, initially, 
we were told that we had quite a good success rate. We were looking at 60% um, after the first five years um, of cure. So we went through the um, route of having um, radiotherapy, which we were in Manchester for that. And we had that for six and a half weeks. And then we thought we were out of the woods. You know, we went on traditionally like any other child would. You know, he started school, mixing with friends. And it was the following year that we were having our routine MRI scan that we found that it had come back again aggressively um, in the same location. And from there, our chances of cure dropped significantly. We were looking at 5% chance of cure. Um, so he had another further two surgeries in quite quick succession of each other. Um, again, prolonged surgeries. They thought they got it all out first, ha- first time in, in June 2021. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't. And it grew back very, very quickly within six weeks. So he was having another surgery towards the end of August, followed by another path of radiotherapy treatment. And then chemotherapy treatment, which he started on New Year's Eve of 2021. And the chemotherapy treatment really was really, really hard. Um, He would get infections. He would end up in hospital um, for really, really prolonged periods. Um, He'd need platelet transfusions, blood transfusions. He he became very, very poorly. Um, His back treatment finished in April 2022. And again, we went back to hopefully this was the last time that we'd have to be in hospital for treatments. And then at a routine MRI scan this time last year, we were told that the cancer had come back again and this time had spread to another area of his head. And at that point, we were told that there was no further treatment options that were left for us and we went on to palliative chemo. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of parents listen to this and, and a lot of people that have got younger siblings and you can't, you know, I, there's nothing I can say here that, you know, no one has already said to you and, and, and that will make it, any easier to digest and, and to say that and I know you're 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 you've probably got used to explaining the situation now as you're trying to fundraise. Um but it is it is a criminal lack of research really when when I you know I was reading into it as we were saying we were going to commit to to pushing the, the just giving and the fundraiser. But when I looked at it, I mean the research into brain tumors, especially in younger people, seems to be next to non existent or from what I could see. And, and that seems to be the key part of what you're trying to do. It is. I mean Unfortunately, I've got to know statistics through brain tumour research, and I know that brain cancer is the biggest killer of adults under the age of 40 and children than any other cancer in the UK. Treatments haven't changed for brain cancers in 50, 60 years, um, and there is a severe lack of funding. You know, the government don't put much funding behind it because it's regarded as rare. Um, and funding relies on the likes of myself doing fundraising, people donating to the charity um for research to take place um a couple of weeks ago i was in london for one of the um openings of the center of excellences that brain tumor research fund and these centers you know need millions and millions of pounds just to keep running every year um and this center is specifically looking at pediatric cancers but the spectrum of pediatric cancers there's over 184 different types of brain cancers i learned last a couple of weeks ago when we were at the having a a tour of the the labs at the science with the scientists and it's it's just incredible to think that you know there's that amount there that hasn't been researched that there is a lack of research for there's very very little cure um any clinical trials are normally taking place abroad and not in the uk because 
the amount of time that it takes to approve a clinical trial in the UK can take up to six months. Whereas if you're having a clinical trial in America and looking for approval there, it takes 30 days. So it's obviously going to be taking place in America than, than here because they can get the, the, the clinical trial out quicker. It's, it's really, really hard to take on those statistics and listen to them on a daily basis. And you're hearing so, so much more. I think because you're involved in the, in the brain tumor community, you, you constantly hear about other people contracting. I'm, I'm contracting is the wrong word, but being diagnosed with, with the disease, you know, in our local area, within a 40 mile, an hour, 40 mile radius, there are eight children that I know of who have been diagnosed with different types of brain cancers. And out of those eight, there's three that are still living. So it, it just goes to show it's not it's not rare. It's not as rare as what they say. And we need to get the awareness out and we need to get people talking about the disease. And look, there's you know, there's lots of people supporting you or, or, or eager to support you, um, none more so than Ryan Reynolds. I, I guess we'll play a quick clip from him of, uh, that he sent over to you. Hey, everyone. Uh, it's Ryan Reynolds. I just want to say uh, thank you for... Uh, for for being uh, here to honor Aaron's memory, and I want to say thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you continue to do to fund uh, brain tumor research. There is absolutely no reason uh, that somebody like Aaron should not be with us here today. Uh, so the work that you're doing is incredibly important and hugely impactful to so many people, and uh, I just want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. Okay. So there you go. You know, he is as wonderful as people say. And, and let's not detract that, you know, you are the one with others that will be doing this walk in Ellesmere on the day of the crew game. And there are others around Wrexham as well that, that are eager to help. We've seen fans already put into um, the Just Giving. I'm hoping that will push past the thousand barrier as soon as possible. And I'm, we're going to do our best to to help that. You know, um, Luke Young was walked out with Aaron uh, for, for a game. I forget which game it was now, but he, when Aaron was a mascot, Ben Toza shared the link the other week. So you must be heartened by the Wrexham football community is trying to to give you a boost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the community as a whole have been just so incredibly supportive, you know, from the firework that we did in May um, to, you know, even the team... Obviously, we've got that connection with Luke. Luke and his wife have always been messaging us, reaching out to us, asking if there's anything that they can do to help. Aaron was quite poorly and ended up in in the Myler uh, last Christmas, and the team came to see him, um, had Zoom calls with him, you know. And then the support of just Wrexham community as a whole, you know, people speaking to us that don't even have that connection with Aaron, you know, just saw him in the news or 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 on Facebook or Twitter, and have just lent us their support they've just been absolutely incredible and we're so so grateful for all the you know the, the donations that have already been made and obviously the spreading of awareness it's it's just it's just incredible and and lastly then what what is the the maybe the short to medium term goal you've obviously got this walk I mean how can people best support you not just maybe this event but going forward what can they do to sort of help with fundraising efforts do you think um, just, just, just anything. I mean, as I said, you know, donations are important, but spreading awareness is also key. You know, unless we have that awareness, then we don't have the donations coming in. You know, I've set up Aaron's Army that's under the Brain Tumor Research umbrella, so I'm going to be trying to do my best to continue on with the um, fundraising, whether that be small coffee mornings or wear a hat days, which is what Brain Tumor Research um, promote every uh, March, which is Brain Tumor Awareness Month. 
um, to the walks, to the firewalks, just anything really. Um, people can follow me, follow me on my Aaron's Army Facebook page or I've got Aaron's Appendinoma page, which is a blog of his treatment throughout the last three years. Um, and yeah, but I'll keep that updated with, with whatever events that I've got coming along. Um, I've got a bucket collection um, in Wrexham on the 16th of December. So if people want to come along and support that, more than happy, come along and say hello. And, 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 and yeah, it'll be lovely to meet some of the people that have made the donations. Really hard hitting stuff, Rich. And great to hear from Ryan Reynolds as well, that he is thanking the community for rallying around Nicola and, and trying to, to raise funds. And, and um, yeah, it's just great to see. And I hope that people can keep supporting it. I know it's tough and I know I've seen all the donations and people that have gone via this podcast to the donation page. I really appreciate it. It really does mean a lot. And, um, you know, having spoken to Nick, it just means even a little bit more now. So if you can support in any way you can, whether that's just sharing the the donation link, whether that's just spreading the word that this is happening or, um, or, or you can chip in. So yeah, Ryan Reynolds is on board. We're on board. Um, and hopefully you are too in, in, in raising awareness for a vital, um, charity. Nafe, another week, another two episodes of Welcome to Wrexham have dropped as well. And I know that we may be a bit sceptical, but cynical of episode one. They had to get a lot covered in that one. But I feel like the, the series has really sort of kick-started with episode two, episode two and three, not just in terms of the football side of things, but episode two in particular. Very moving and, yeah, a brilliant watch again. And more, you know, it's just... It makes you so... Watching episode two makes you feel so grateful about how... The, you look at Paul Mullen as an ambassador of this club that we've got representing to us. The fact that, I mean, it was 10 years ago that we hosted, was it Wales or the UK's first autism-friendly football match anyway? You know, this isn't just something that's been happening since Rob and Ryan have come in. With their sort of stardom, we've been able to take it to a whole new scale. Of course, now we can put in a documentary that's going to be seen worldwide and we can really get this to a whole new audience and raise awareness even further. But the hard work has been going on for a long, long time. And yeah, it's... Again, just made me very, very proud to be a Wrexham fan this week because I know we always say we support a very special club, but there really is something different about Wrexham. And anyone who's supported us pre-takeover will know that. They'll know about the safe spaces we have in the stadium, about the quiet rooms. They'll know about, like we said, having that autism-friendly status that's been there for a decade now, really. And it is because of the hard work of volunteers who did it all for no reward previously. So I do just want to say, you know, a massive thank you to them. And yeah, Naif, I thought it was a really good couple of episodes this week. Yeah, I mean, chalk and cheese, really. One very football heavy um, and one that really was meant to not be about the football. And Mullen said himself that football is his number two priority. And when you hear that in isolation, you think, oh, that's strange. But then when you listen to him talk, of course it is. And of course it should be because his son, Albie, is absolutely everything. It's his entire world. And he said about the guilt he feels and and how he got choked up on camera. And it was hard to watch, Rich, because he all he wants is the best for his lad and just wants his lad to be as happy as possible every single day. And every parent can relate to that, I'm sure. You know, f- football is by the by. It, it, it's, it comes and goes. Results come and go. Wins and losses ultimately means something to us on a Saturday. But in the grand scheme of things, life, you know, brings far bigger challenges than 
than a, a match on a Saturday. And to see him talking about Albie being non-verbal and and you know conversations with Robin Robin Ryan about you know he's improving bit by bit, a bit about his celebration, Mullen and Millie Tippin's relationship, and Millie talking about how or Millie's mum in particular talking about how she's really grown and, and developed, um, particularly under the takeover and all the friends she's made in the quiet zone with Kerry Evans and people like that. Um, gave you a lot to be proud of, not just in the characters. Um, you know, and Park, you said, didn't he? He always mentioned about his plonker test and all that. And I think that permeates the entire club in terms of there's such great people in roles at that football club that mean that as long as they're there, I think they will be able to maintain that community feel to it because it, it does get harder. Trust me, it gets harder the higher up the levels you go because you get in new people, uh, they become more and more detached from that community. So Wrexham have got people that have been there for years, have volunteered there for years, care a lot, care deeply and get it. And uh, yeah, on, on, on the autism front, on, on Mullin, just, just very powerful stuff. I mean, there's not really much more I can say on episode two. I mean, that was what it said on the tin. As for episode three, a, a closer look at Notts County. Um, you know, smother the bleep. It, it, you can you can you can enjoy it a lot more now that you know how right. it ends that season, can't you? Because watching it back gives me chills again. It gives me the nightmares. I was I was looking for you in your bright orange jacket, but I couldn't find you. Um, but I could see my cousin briefly yeah, on there in the crowd. I dressed like dressed like a trawlerman for Notts County exactly. away. Exactly. Or, bright orange cagoule, which might make an appearance at Stockport this weekend. So keep your eyes peeled for that I, as well. I was in the air. I was going to Japan at the time. So I, I was I landed and saw we'd lost. But um, it was just really interesting because I, I've been looking for a little bit more football stuff. Um, and we got a bit of that in episode three. You see, you see the team meet in the film session before smother the bleep in life out of Macaulay Langstaff, says Parkey. Um, and, you know, he scored 14 goals. It was obviously Langstaff that gets the goal. I guess the key football takeaway from that, Rich, was a, a to-and-fro, a bust-up, if you want to call it, between Ben Tozer and Paul Mullen. I mean, what did you make of that cut scene? Because that's the type of thing that we never see as fans inside the dressing room. It's gold dust, isn't it, for... for as Wrexham fans who, you know, like I said, I love everything about the documentary sort of balance of footballing matters and non-footballing matters. But as a journalist, I love just seeing the dressing room stuff behind the magician's cloth as it was and just getting to see these players and what they're like when they interact with, with each other. And, you know, I think the toes and Mullen exchange happens every single weekend oh, at I... every football club up and down the country. Whether you win or lose, there's going to be critique. And, you know, I, I just, I enjoyed seeing that. That because again, that just shows you the passion. It shows how much it matters to these players. You know that even at that stage of the season, that felt like a huge defeat and a real missed opportunity that we were losing ground on on Notts County, who were and would end up being our our main challengers for the title. And yeah, I, it's not often you see Mullen almost painted as not as the bad guy, but you know as someone who has in a way let his team down in that game because you know he has that glorious chance for on goal. He doesn't square the ball to Ollie Palmer, which could significantly you know, change the, the whole lay of the season, really. But, you know, I I, I wouldn't use the... I wouldn't go as hard as saying it's sort of a bust-up no, or a no. dressing room sort of fracas because, like I said, I think that happens every single week in football. But, yeah, I, I did quite like seeing it in a perverse way. It, it just made me laugh. Could you imagine being one of the other teammates in there? Because everyone else just sort of sat head down 
didn't want to make eye contact as they were both, you know, passionately going at it. Well, you know, that's all it was. I think it was just a frank exchange of views. Tozer was fuming that he didn't pass. Mullen said, look, I didn't see him. Otherwise, I would have passed. I'm very much cutting out all the swearing yeah. that I couldn't possibly say. Otherwise, this would probably get taken down. Um, but it was, like you say, that is very common. But it's just, it is good to see that because you, I think it shows new fans, if they're watching it, or anyone who's just watching the show, the pressure that was on these players because they'd already lost at Chesterfield. You'd now lost at Notts County. All right, you'd won seven in a row. But as Ollie Palmer said, when he was sat up in bed in the hotel room at the Hilton, you, you've got to be teams around you i mean it doesn't you know we know what happens as we go on but i do it's the, those bits like that are just gold especially when you know it all turned out fine in the end but they are gold just seeing the changing yeah. room and also rich i'm maybe i'm a bit of a stadium nerd but i just quite like seeing the layouts of all these random changing rooms whether they're tiny and a bit grotty and I remember one at grimsby last season where you know when we lost at blundell park and it was kind of like a corridor almost it was a tiny little um cupboard that they were squeezed into the players so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it. hopefully there are a few more nuggets like that as, as the season goes I'm sure there will be um but this was a real I mean when there's two episodes you just feel like you're getting a bit more for your buck you know what I mean you, you kind of can cover more ground at 20 odd minutes yeah. each. and again that's what I feel that we were sort of complaining about last week's the, the initial episode was they tried to squeeze so much into one episode and if you put Million Paul's story alongside us then losing at Notts County. That just does not work whatsoever. But as standalone different pieces, it's almost hard to to piece together that that's the same documentary. That is what's so good about Welcome to Wrexham is that it does tackle the on-field stuff as well as the wider societal issues and issues at the club and in and, and wider sort of UK life as well. So, yeah, I thought it was a really nice sort of couple of of programs this week of, of the two shows together and like I said I think you no matter what you come to the documentary for you certainly got your fix this week and long may it continue I'm you know like I said I was a bit cynical of episode one but episode two and three reminded me why this is an award-winning docuseries and why it's so bloody good I think even if you're a non-Rexham fan it's just there is so much in there and yeah whether you're new to the club or not, whether you like football or not, there is something in there for you. Rich, we got called out in the YouTube comments, someone saying that, you know, why are we so against the takeover? They've done nothing but brilliant stuff for this. Why is this pod so negative about the takeover? Um, and I, 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 Are we I, negative against the takeover? Well, hey, okay. well, well apparently, I, I, I went back to this individual and said that they clearly don't listen to the podcast because we've done nothing but champion. I mean, we've got the podcast named after the two of them, so we must absolutely hate them, Rich. We've had them on. We must absolutely despise them. But um, apparently, yeah, if you don't like episode one, you absolutely hate Hollywood and anyone that's in it, apparently. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, well. But yeah, who cares? Thank you very much for your <laughs> feedback on those YouTube videos. Anyway, uh, Rob Ryan Red on, on all the socials, as usual. Nafe, back to the football then. We've already touched upon it. Stockport away this weekend. It's a biggie. I just feel, yeah, it just it's one of those games that gives me the chills in a way because can I envisage just going to Stockport and winning on Saturday? Not really, but why not? I know that if I looked at the two teams on paper, I'd be backing us. It's just maybe if you think I, if if you think I'm negative about the takeover, wait till you hear <laughs> how I am about the rest of things because you know, look at them, they're 13th in the table. They've got 11 points. That's only four behind us at this stage. You can't go into it too much. That win against MK Dons, really impressive. Beating Wimbledon as, away as well. You know, we saw how tough that was to do. They've got the momentum going now. A bit of a slow start, as we saw last season. 
but there's a reason. Did we both back them to win, be the eventual league winners we this did. season initially? We, we did, we did, we did. So, I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? This is a quality side, a team that, as anyone knows who's listened to the podcast for a long time, have always been maybe a step or two ahead of us in terms of their own rebuild, in terms of money investment of of putting a playing squad together. I really don't think it would be a devastating defeat if we were to lose this weekend. You know, I think that... Come on, Rich. Come on. We're, we're doing so well. I mean, we put a post out, I think, before. What game was it before? Was it before... Uh, it was it was with five games. I said, how many points are we going to get in the next five games? I can't remember what the game was. Um, we've won all of them. So remind me which one we which one started our winning run, and then I'll whatever whatever it was the, the five games. And I said, how many points are we going to get? And a few people put fifteen, and there were replies to that saying, "Oh, pre Tranmere, pre Tranmere." We beat Tranmere, we beat Doncaster, we beat Grimsby, obviously beat Newcastle on the 21s in that as well. So before Tranmere... four wins on the bounce. Before Tranmere, Rich, I said, how many points in the league are we going to get out of the next five games? And some people put, we'll and probably get like eight. Three clean sheets know. in the last four. Someone put, we'll probably get eight, we'll probably get seven, something like that. Um, we've already got nine. We've got Stockport. I think if you draw against Stockport and you win against Crew, I think that's brilliant. I think that's... That's, oh, a, yeah. that's a brilliant one. I'd, I'd snap your hand off for that now. I, I also think, I also think, like you say, you put in the context. This, this isn't me trying to be negative, but if we lost against Stockport and beat Crew, right? That last five six games is still brilliant. But I, do you I, know what I mean, I, like I, that's what I'm trying. What I'm trying to say is, if we do lose this weekend, I'm not saying we are going to, but if we do lose, it's also not not that big a deal because you've got so much more lenience to lose games in in League Two. So I do think that I'm not saying it's a free hit, but. Whatever happens Saturday happens. There's so many bigger games still on the horizon. There's still more games to come. If you look at the actual table, I know I'm a bit reluctant to this early in the season. The teams we've played all seem to be basically top half or, or there or thereabouts, or the exception of the of the last couple of opponents we've now played. But you've seen that. You've seen that quality, that when we play the teams lower in the table, Grimsby, Tranmere, Doncaster, we beat them. And then when we're playing the teams in and around us, as Ollie Palmer said, it's about taking points in those games, but you're not going to be expected to win every single one either. So I do think that once the, the fixture list gets a bit kinder anyway, I think we are going to start getting that momentum, start steamrolling teams and and just getting that, that forward momentum going. I fancy a Paul Mullen goal this weekend. I think he's going to get among the goal. He's got a good record against Stockport. Like I say, scored in that away game in the league, scored against them twice in that FA Trophy semi-final at the race course. Scored against them in the league, didn't he as well? In that three um, nil end of season, the final home game before we ended up losing in the playoffs to Grimsby. Fancy Super Paul to get among the goal. It's been a big week for him, you know, talking openly and candidly about autism and his son on the documentary. I fancy him to cap it off with with a goal. I'm going to go, Rich. I'm going to go one nil to Wrexham against Stockport. Ooh, I like that positivity. I mean, can I leave early then? Or not at one nil? If, if it's already one nil, yeah, maybe after maybe maybe you have to risk it for work. But I don't know. See how you get on. I reckon you'll end up pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and just trying to Usain Bolt to your car. Okay, I like that. I like that mentality instead. Yeah, I'm gonna go for a one all draw. I think that you know two of the best teams in in, in the league both cancel each other out. I think it might be a bit scrappy, a bit nervy. Like I said, I think we're really encouraged by our recent sort of clean sheet record as well. And the fact we're starting to look a bit more sort of solid at the back. Okay, the caveat is we've played some 
some teams who haven't offered too much. But yeah, I'm feeling quite positive heading into this weekend, strangely enough. So yeah, enough negativity from me for this week. But thank you very much to to all our guests this week as well and to to you for listening wherever you are in the world. As we've said many times on this podcast, please do get in touch, Rob Brian Red on all the platforms, robbrownred.com and also the email address as well that you should know by now. A reminder, quick plug then, not only for Aaron's Army, of course, the donation link will be in the bio. Please do support that. Share the link if you can for our own vanity. If you've got any suggestions for that, where were we when we were crap feature, please email them in. We'll read some of those out next week. I won't be here next week though, Nate. I'm off to Poland for a little break. So pressure back on you to go solo do you think you can handle it i i think i'll see what i can pull out the bag i'm sure i'm sure i'll pull something i've uh, been speaking to someone who i don't know let's not give too much away but someone who would be very very interesting as a guest what a tease you are what a tease uh thank you very much for joining us once again on triple r rob ryan red take care thanks for listening i will see you again next time It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.